Welcome to the Graham Deconstruction Podcast. My name is Sarah Travers. It's great to have you with us today, bringing you a different perspective on the industry. And today, in recognition of International Women's Day and as part of Women in Construction Week, I'm joined in the Deconstruction Podcast studio by Holly Cregan, who is the Head of Equality, Diversity and FUR, which stands for Fairness, Inclusion and Respect at Graham. Welcome, Holly. And also Emer Murnahan, Innovation Director at Graham and an Ambassador in Wise Women in Science and Engineering. Welcome to you too. Thanks, Sarah. So it is obviously Women in Construction Week. Um, It is also International Women's Day. So it's a great time for us to actually look at gender balance in the construction industry because we know that it is a little bit skewed and has been for some time. It has been a male-dominated industry. But first of all, the fact that you're both women in construction at very senior levels now. Holly, let's start with you. And can you give us a little bit of your background? So I started my career in the rail industry um, back in about 2006 and started off very much in an administration support role and gradually progressed from there really. Um, Moved into a commercial role as a quantity surveyor and um, finally before I moved into this role was as a project manager delivering rail projects, mainly level crossing upgrades up and down the UK. So quite different to what I'm doing now. And I moved into this role and when I realised that, well, where were all the other women? I was the only female project manager, often in client meetings and in the office. And I loved my job and I couldn't understand where everybody else was. So I started talking in schools uh, about my career and about my job and just really trying to challenge stereotypes and um, explain the variety of roles in the industry. And then... That just grew and grew, and that's how I ended up in the role I'm in today. But go even further back for me. When you were at school, did you always know what you wanted to do? Did you think then, am I the only girl in this class? <laughs> no, no idea. I mean, when people say to you, what, you want to be, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, I wanted to be everything. I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to be a teacher. Construction was never on my radar. Um, but that first job? That first job, sorry, what? Whenever you had your first job, but you were actually in in the industry, in the sector. So you went to the railways, first of all? Yeah, so I mean, my family have a history of working on the railway. So in York, you know, carriage works, that you worked on the railway. Um, my granddad worked in the railway. And then when I said I was joining a railway company, um, I, was, I was met with, what are you going to do there? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, but it was something that you felt was nearly in your DNA. As soon as I joined... I felt like this is a good company, this is a good industry. Yes, definitely. It felt right and it felt like even then this is somewhere I could stay as a career for life, if you like. But was it very obviously the case that there weren't, as you said, others like you, there weren't other women doing the job? Did you meet with barriers? Did you meet with challenges? Or were people welcoming, even though maybe a little surprised? People were welcoming. I think... For me, it was just you join and you do a good job and you get on. You were given opportunities um, or asked if you know if you wanted to progress. So I was lucky. I also asked a lot. So I um, said, can I do this job? Can I do that job? Even though I didn't see other women in that role, kind of didn't let that stop me. Um, and I don't know where that came from, where that comes from. And did you realise, <laughs> when maybe you know it takes further down the line when you reflect back, did you realise then that you were 
good at asking questions and you were good at putting your hand up and finding your voice? I seem to be. <laughs> and I seem to be not met with who is this lady that suddenly wants to do all these jobs that aren't for her. I was met with male allies, I would say, I'll probably best describe them as that recognised that if you're hard working, um, you know, it's not being a woman isn't a barrier to being able to do that job. So just because there weren't other women in that role currently didn't mean that I couldn't do it. And obviously now you're absolutely trying to encourage more women into the industry and telling your story is part of that recruitment process. But we'll come back to you in a second, Holly. Let's bring Emer in. Emer, uh, how did it start with you? Uh, you've obviously worked in this industry for quite some time now and you would be very recognised in the industry and also a great trailblazer. Mm. Well, thanks, Sarah. I don't know about the trailblazer, but um, I probably am a bit older than Holly, so I've had a chance to think about where did I start or how did all this start. And I went to a convent school, um, all girls, and girls studied science. Um, I suppose we had to choose at the age of 10 or 11, if I think right back there, and my mum said, you're doing science. And I said, but mum, I want to do home economics or domestic science or whatever it was called So then. you did say that? Oh, absolutely, time. I said oh, that. but your mum said, no, you're doing My mum was a teacher, and she uh -huh. said, I'm going to teach you all the cooking and baking you need to know, and you're going to do science. And I went, okay, mum. So if you meet my mum, <laughs> nickname <laughs> she Mother Teresa. Yeah, she used to blame. Um, and then you you. I mean, you, you do it and you think, well, what am I going to do with these A-levels? So I went to the usual trail, universities, banks, colleges. What could I do with these sciences? And I went, and I can still remember it, the Queen's University of Belfast, the David Keir building. It is still there. Um, and in the basement of that building was the hydraulics lab. And I went in through those doors and that changed my life. Because, yeah, what was in there, um, what's called a hydraulic wave tank. So it's like a little mini swimming pool. But what they were doing at Queen's then was the very early prototypes for wave energy. And I thought, water, energy, this just blew my mind. And I should say that back then one of the researchers was a female. So again, it didn't seem strange to me. So I'd come from an all-girl environment. I went into this place called Queen's University. There was a female researcher there. She, Pauline, is now one of the professors at Queen's. Um, and I thought, I'm going to give this a go. And um, I have never regretted it. Yeah, it's been a fantastic career. And uh, where did you go after that then, once you, your So studying civil engineering, I suppose, resonates with me as a person. Um, because we're fundamentally changing life and society. So if you think of the very basic needs that we have, they start with water. Um, and for me, that's fundamentally what being a civil engineer is, bringing uh, clean, safe drinking water for people. And um, I suppose maybe a little story around that. Um, I went, when I graduated, I went to this place called Oma. And <laughs> if you're from Belfast and you grew up in the Troubles, or what was called the Troubles, hopefully that's in the past, um, Oma was blue bus stuff. So people had to get the blue bus. <laughs> um, this was a far, far away place. And they said, you need to go to Oma. And I did actually, I'm embarrassed to say, I asked people, where's Oma and how do you get there? There you um, go. There speaks a city slicker, you see. Absolutely. I would know where Oma is. Yes, <laughs> I'm yes. a country bumpkin. <laughs> yes, you're a country bumpkin. So I was that city slicker, very narrow mind. And, and you know, we don't need to go into that today. 
But um, ironically, I live and work in Oma and have brought my family up in Oma. So that Oma place became very important to me. And they accepted you. Yeah, but if I go (laughs) back to 1989, probably, and I was working in this place called Oma and we were laying rural water mains. So not everyone had running water in their house back then, particularly in rural areas and particularly areas that are at that height. And I can remember going up one morning to meet this woman called Maggie. She lived in a little cottage at the top of Altamuskin Hill, which is just outside Ballygolly. So you can all Google that to find out where that is. Um, and I was so professional, I had clipboard, hard hat, ready to go up to meet this little lady. And she obviously was watching for me because she came out of her house and she was um, probably actually not much older than I am now, if I think of it. But she seemed old, but she was small and vibrant little person. She just took my hand and she started shaking it. And she said, you're bringing me mains water, you're bringing me water mains. Wow. Now, for someone from the city slicker from Belfast who was, what, maybe 24, 25, I couldn't even fathom somebody not having running water and what her life would have been like. So anytime I'm getting a bit um, challenged or think, oh, I remember Maggie, and I think that's why I love this job because we make a difference to people's lives. I always think yeah. to Simon Sinek's uh, TED Talk, you know, start with why. Why do you get out of bed in the morning and yeah. why should anyone care? It's that sense yeah. of purpose yeah. and what civil engineering, as you s- say, can, can do for people. Um, did you experience any barriers along the way? So do you ever know, what, you know, are the barriers there? Because um, I suppose, you know, the barriers are within the systems that uh, within which we work. So you kind of just, so oh, can't go there, do that. Um, probably my outlook has been when somebody says to me, you can't do that under my breath, I go, yet. <laughs> and that allows me to, I hear mm-hmm. what you say, but I'm actually not going to accept that. Because so the words were said to you many a time? Oh, often, often, yeah, yeah. Um, because you were a woman? Uh, I don't know. Who, kn- who knows? I don't know. It could just be the way the, the system is. I'll give you a little funny little story um, of when I was in sight as an undergraduate. Um, we were on the uh, flood protection scheme. Um, gosh, it was the River Blackwater. Um, and as a young engineer, undergrad student engineer on site we were taking photographs and um, they must have been wanting to take a photograph of the scheme and the people who were on the scheme and I had a bright yellow jumper on that day and I was asked to stand out of the photograph and I could not believe it and it was because of my jumper now the irony of all that is the high-vis colour that has since been <laughs> yes. introduced into the industry is yeah. So yes. I kind of think, ooh, you were ahead of. Your I time. was ahead of my time. You were. <laughs> no, I was not. And they were young. They were other young engineers. You know, they were. So there was something happening. You know, the guys weren't comfortable with a female and, and somebody who looked differently or felt or or wore different clothes. So have yeah. things changed, Emer? Absolutely. Yeah, they have. Absolutely, they have, yeah. Um, I see things through a lens of uh, younger women's eyes, so women like Holly and indeed my own daughter, who is a civil engineer. Well, there you go. So she must have looked to her mum and thought, I want to do the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I I see things. She's just had her first baby, and I suppose if I think when I was expecting her, all the challenges that I had to go through to try and get... um, 
additional maternity benefits or something like that. Can't quite remember the detail, but, you know, she's had a year off. She's ready to get back into work um, and the flexibility that's afforded um, people now, men and women, because men take paternity leave and uh, lots of people have caring responsibilities. Um, so I think, yes, this the industry has changed. Legislation drives change, I think, Sarah. Yeah, I would be, I don't know, what do you think, Holly? I think legislation drives drives change in the industry. Well, let's bring Holly back in because you, you talk now, Holly, about going out and, um, you know, talking to to young women of the of the future that and telling them about you know working in in the industry why is it a good profession a career to get into i think well for all the reasons emma's just said you know you're changing lives really you can point at something and say i was part of that i helped build that and that's important to people you know whatever gender you are whatever whatever age you are but um it's a good industry because of all the variety of jobs I think you know I came into the industry in one role and I've probably done about five different roles um in the time you know in the time that I've been in in the sector so I think the opportunities are endless really and you know we used to talk about job for life and it's not necessarily about job for life and you would stay with that same company but I think certainly you could have a career for life with the same company um and when you're talking to these young people in schools what do you see in what you say to them that makes them light up and think differently perhaps about working in the construction industry? I think now more it's about the additional things they can do as well as turning up and being um, a civil engineer or a quantity surveyor. I think it's about the fact that we tell them that they can volunteer and they can impact our innovation strategy and our sustainability um, initiatives and they can help support me with our equality, diversity, inclusion um, agenda. And I think it's all those things that make it just that more rounded experience for them that is just a fantastic opportunity. And as I say, the progression, the opportunities aren't so much maybe like they used to be where you sat waiting for the person above you to retire or to leave. You know, the progression isn't just straight up, it's, you know, to the side and it's, you know, you might work in commercial and then you might be a project manager, you might work in our work winning teams. So it's the opportunities, I think. I'm a bit, I just of commend course, a wee bit on that one because... Holly and I are both just uh, have been going through the recruitment of what we call the next generation. So we've been recruiting um, the last two weeks for our year out and graduates. Um, And, you know, we ask them, why did you choose Graham? And they say, because you're interested in people and you like to do things that make a difference. So you just go, wow. And that is exactly our industry. And that was the same thing that you were sparked by. And and probably that alignment with um, the company that you work for. They have to have the same value set as you do. Mm-hmm. Do you know, and it, it's what makes you tick. And probably just to talk to, if, if I were chatting to any young people in schools, I said, find out, you know, where you feel energised and then just see where that is. So I love it. Well, obviously I love it if people come and they want to be civil engineers. <laughs> but I also like if people come to our um, office for work placement or whatever and decide this is not where I want to be. Because that's okay as well. Okay. Do you know that you just, it's all those You're trying things. things. There's Give so it a go. many options. Yeah. Give it a go. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing with, when we think about like the gender pay gap, you know, not every woman wants to work in construction and that's okay. Yes. Um, 
for me, it's as long as we've removed any, like Ema says, systemic barriers or perceived barriers that there may be in place so that if you want to, you can. Um, and if you don't want to, that's absolutely fine. And also, you know you don't have to just turn up on site and wear a hard hat. Did you know that if you want to be a nurse, you can be an occupational health nurse in our sector? If you enjoy finance, there are roles that you can do in our sector. Not every role working in construction is on site, you know, um, with all the gear, with yeah. all the PPE. Yeah, uh, actually, just to that point, so we have accountants, solicitors, our lawyers, um, you know, social value people, health and safety, environmental. The roles for women, particularly in Graham, actually, are, are quite extensive and varied. So, probably so suppose <laughs> you think about the construction industry and the stereotypical vision yeah. is the hard hat, it's mm-hmm. on site, it's dirty, it's messy. For some women out there, they might love the prospect of that, but yeah, Emer's <laughs> just pointed at herself. Yeah, that was you. <laughs> you just love being on site. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Mud, mud on your boots and soil in your veins, and there's nothing like it. But site nothing must like have it. changed a lot. Um, you know, what was it like on site maybe 25 okay, years so ago? Okay, so I, I mentioned that flood scheme. Yeah. Um, and there weren't those facilities, so it's easy for your um, if you're a male and you're out for hours to go to the loo Mm -hmm. but that wasn't so easy for females so I've had to do probably quite embarrassing things (laughs) back in the day on Uh a flood protection scheme Um, but one one of the things that I was involved in maybe about 20 years ago was called respect for people initiative Um, and that was making sure the welfare on our construction sites was of a very high standard and the barometer I used on any of the sites that I was supervising was that they had to be decent enough that I could bring my children in to go to the toilet and use those. And that was the barometer that I used. And we had, yeah, a very high standard of welfare facilities. Which which improved the quality and the standards for all. Sorry, exactly. Yeah. Respect for everybody. That's It was called respect for people. It wasn't respect for women because... There weren't that many women. It was yeah. respect for people. So Holly, you know, you've when did you start with Graham? Just two years ago? May last year. Oh, May last year, my goodness. So right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and you've come in as head of equality, diversity and inclusion and for, of course, fairness, inclusion and respect. What does that role mean to you, or those roles? It means, for me, it means being able to change the image of our sector, um, specifically at Graham, to help Graham be a sustainable business, so sustainable for the future. Um, You know, we've got an ageing population, an ageing workforce, people are leaving the sector and we need to be attractive to the next generation. So for me, it's about making sure that, you know, we are a company of the future and we're around you know because we're bringing in the next generation um when you join us it's inclusive you can be yourself and we're a place where we're a company that you want to stay in so it's and it's absolutely what we just said about making it inclusive for all so if we put one thing in place it's not just to benefit women it's not just to benefit our disabled population actually these things benefit everybody I mean you think about some of the things that have been brought in by Microsoft which we've all got very much used to in the past couple of years using Teams and and everything else um, etc blur background for example that was brought in by the disability working group for Microsoft um, because to remove distractions well that benefits us all when you're maybe working out of your bedroom <laughs> and you don't want everybody to see the background um, 
closed captions, you know, being able to increase the text size, that helps a much wider um, population than just the disabled population, maybe, with a disability, which is who it was initially brought in for. So it's about having that lens on everything we do, you know. And it's important that you have somebody in a designated role like yourself to do that because I suppose many of us carry around unconscious bias um, and that's something I'm sure that you have to think about and I, I see Graham being very forward thinking in this area. I mean I was lucky when I joined Graham because there are amazing people like Ema and others that have already been championing this agenda for so long but they have been doing it as part of their day job and you can only get so far when you're doing that so to join and people are already passionate makes my job easier because I'm not going around saying please can you help me with this please can you help me because they're on board already so they're pleased that somebody's come in to um, get some momentum and take it to the next level and I'm pleased that people are already passionate about it and I'm not having to do a big sell to everybody. Um, so that passion was there Emer, already but as Holly was saying you were doing it just as part of the of the day job. You were saying that legislation drives change. Do we still need to have things in law which makes businesses actually look inward and say, do you know what? There are gaps here um, instead of burying their head in the sand. Yeah, I suppose, it, as Holly was saying, you'd, you'd love to think that it was the right thing to do. And if, you're, if you were savvy enough to know that it's about sustainability of your business, yeah, you'd be on there. However, if we look back over time, if we... Th- compare maybe the health and safety legislation so people died we allowed people to be killed on our construction sites until we introduced legislation that said that is illegal so in Northern Ireland we've had our own um, equality legislation um, mostly around anybody from Northern Ireland will know this was around religious discrimination but actually in I think it was 2010 is that right Holly Um, the UK government introduced the Equality Act and the Equality Act then talks about protected characteristics and it puts in place legislation that uh, I suppose drives change in organisations because they must be compliant. So I suppose that um, because a lot of our clients are government clients then we acting on their behalf have to comply with this legislation. So there are things called um, public sector equality duties duties thank you holly <laughs> thank you I, I could i could get it in my head but i couldn't get what the acronym but i couldn't get what the words were okay so the public sector equality duties so the government clients have to report into the government so we on the client's behalf then have to report into the mm-hmm. client and that's how it works and that has really been a key driver an accelerator i would say it's been an accelerator for change um and luckily in graham because, as Holly pointed out, there were lots of us already doing these things, sort of bit by bit, different projects. Now this is all pulled together, and uh, it's great to have Holly heading that up. I think she's our glue. <laughs> to do. But you're both yeah. working together, and I know oh, yeah. your your job title has changed. You're mm-hmm. now director of innovation. Mm-hmm. How do you marry the two okay. then? That that it's a no-brainer then for me because this is the reward that all businesses can benefit from. So if we just think about it, if everybody looks the same, thinks the same and acts the same, and I will just qualify that because for one moment I don't think all men look the same, feel the same or act the same, but um, if we stereotype our industry, we get people who look, feel, assimilate, they see the behaviours and they respond to them. 
but actually if you start to widen that and you have people with um, diversity of thought as well as diversity in terms of the protected characteristics diversity of experience then as we start to dream new dreams think new ways forward innovation is the opportunity that we can all avail of and for me <laughs> I mean the connection is just straightforward if you're interested in becoming more innovative and if we are going to sustain the business we need to be innovative then and what do we women need to be bring diverse? to the construction industry and let's with stem industries so shall I, I'll give you a very simple example from a way back at the very start of my career when I was on site. And uh, I'm going to talk a wee about um, manhole lifters at the minute because a way back in the day, a manhole lifter was a little stubby thing with a handle. And if you were tiny like me, you didn't really have the leverage. And some of the guys on my site went home one night and they welded together a few bits of reinforcement bar and they made a long manhole lifter and I could lift the manholes. So that's just a little example of the innovation that comes when, when you're going, oh, well, how do we sort this? You come up against a problem and you just find a solution to it. That's innovation. Mm, and solutions, that's what we need in the world. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's thinking so differently and, thinking, and the yeah. collaboration. Yeah, so that's the culture um, and I think so we can make uh, a, an organisation that's diverse, OK, that that can be done. You can achieve that. But actually, you won't get the benefit of it unless the culture is right. Mm -hmm. So the culture has to be where not not even that everyone has a voice or is being listened to, but is being heard. And that's very different. And I know that's quite nuanced. So listening and heard, that's different. Different, absolutely. Explain more. Okay, because oh, I, I can listen to you. I can invite you all in and have you all around the table and we'll have a very nice conversation and I'll take your ideas and write them down. And if I go away and do nothing, then you've you've been listened to, but you haven't been heard. So there needs to be positive action. So we need to Absolutely. encourage difficult conversations. And, and that is an issue for some people, isn't it? Speaking up, feeling like you are going to listen to me. So how do you change the culture in an organisation to make sure that people feel heard? I think this is where the fairness, inclusion and respect comes in, really. So exactly what Ema's saying there, that example about that team, they respected each other and they had each other's back and they recognised that one of the team members was struggling and they, through innovation and collaboration, came up with a solution. And I think when we relate, whenever we talk about anything to do with equality, diversity, inclusion, if we bring it back to the fairness, inclusion and respecting of each other in a team, that's when we drive the culture and the behavioural change. And it's linked to health and safety, so we are a safer team because of it. Um, that's, I think, where you get real behavioural behavioral change and that helps drive the agenda so the way we're working at Graham is we follow the fair, fairness inclusion respect framework we have fair ambassadors there are people on the ground on our sites that are acting as our ambassadors they're getting involved in the things that we're doing uh, the initiatives that we're doing and they're having the conversations and they're bringing us um, any challenges and just supporting the agenda. So, And that's absolutely key is getting buy-in yeah. yeah. um, and getting people on board and feeling passionate about this. What exactly are you two doing together at the minute then to make change happen? Mm. <laughs> I, I, something very simple and it's actually um, around tr training and leadership and having these conversations. So one of the things that all are 
not just managers, but all staff are going through is inclusive leadership training. So you talked earlier about unconscious bias and we we have all had exposure to that sort of training. Um, and even just to recognise that we each have our own biases. It's not good nor bad. It's what your biases are, but it's how you react on those biases can be positive or negative. Um, but beyond that, now we've gone for inclusive leadership training. So it's that... Um, growth of yourself so you have to look and be very self-aware but then you actually have to understand where that other person is coming from so it's looking beyond yourself and and this is the sort of um training that holly has been really good at rolling or is starting to roll out right across the business so starting from the top so i i have to say that all our directors senior directors have all done this because and leadership the is awareness now that is you know because yeah. it takes a lot it takes a really big person to be able to go whoa, hold on a minute, I do have unconscious bias, I thought I didn't, I do react in this way, or I do have that, you know, you need a growth mindset, don't you? You need to be able to go check, change. Yeah, and it's about the light bulb moments that we're hopefully getting from rolling out this training, is individuals just thinking, do you know what, I hadn't thought about it like that. The way you've just explained it to me or that example you've just given me just hadn't even occurred to me because I don't experience it or I don't think I discriminate. And we're also trying to help people understand how that when they become aware of their unconscious bias that they may have, how that then may affect their decision making when they're interviewing and when they're recruiting and when they're looking at who they're going to promote and who's going on the next leadership course. And then it all starts building a picture for them about how their decision making may impact um you know the who comes into our business and who stays and do you do you find that again you're preaching to the converted on this do people actually embrace what you're telling them or are you always going to get those individuals who go oh I don't understand what you're talking about. I am this way and this is what I do and I want that person. Some people get it. Some people don't get it, but then they come on the training and they have a light bulb moment. Some people still aren't quite there and that's why it just doesn't end with one training course. No. It doesn't end with just doing unconscious bias and you've ticked a box. It starts with that and it continues. So um, there are so many other things that we're doing. Um, one, for example, is where we'll, we've um, equality, diversity objectives into our uh, behavioural competencies so as part of your annual appraisal things like that so it becomes part of what you're measured against as well um, and then you're just continually building the awareness and the support and the training for people so that it doesn't end and you're helping them understand how um, it's actually woven through everything we do so it's through innovation it's through health and safety it's, it makes people a yeah. better leader more compassionate Absolutely. more understanding Maybe just uh, I'll come back to that light bulb moment because it has happened for has to happen for each of us. Um, and mine probably was because you probably realise by now that I still love the career. I've just found I found my mojo. This is I'm in the right environment for whatever reason I ended up here, um, and have had you know varied and wide experience in the industry, which I absolutely love. Um, but probably about maybe six or seven years ago now. Um, I was in the Institution of Civil Engineers and we were looking at data and diversity and this stat statistic went up that um, there were 10% or 11% of women 
in the industry who were engineers and I went no that couldn't be right it was 10% way back in 1987 when I was graduating and I looked at my colleague who was who happened to be with me through Queen's and she said Emer it hasn't changed and I was so angry I was so angry and so cross because I probably want people to have the same, male or female, to have the same wonderful experience in this career. And I I have to say, I stomped around. I do a lot of stomping, at least in my head anyway. Stomped around and probably blamed a lot of men, right? Okay, so here's the mirror bit. I actually said, well, what am I doing to change that? So I'm merely having my own wonderful career saying, it's up to them to change um, and that was probably the decision I made to get involved and start um, actively, proactively working for women into science and engineering um, and EDI. And that's where I met people like Holly and others who have really helped me understand what this means because I was just merely having a good time. Like, But it is great that we've got the two of you um, here and that you are working so closely together. And in the past, you know, maybe that's been a lonely world. You've maybe been that single voice in your organisation. But that strength and building that network, you know, some people might say, why do we need all of these female networks and female events and whatever? But actually, there's such power and strength in working together. So maybe I, I talked there about the 10%. So I have been asking others, you know, well, okay, so in the world you go oh, 50-50, it should be 50-50, but you want to know well, what is the number that's sustainable? And, and is that realistic though, 50-50? Well, possibly not because not everybody wants to work in this industry, mm. um, but actually it's 30%. At 30% then things are self-sustaining. So if we still continue to flounder around this 10-15%, we are never going to get there. And it's exactly as you say, it's that um, that voice and that support network that needs to happen. Um, and I think I mentioned Holly and I met at, um, was then Highways England Supplier Diversity Forum. Um, and we met because our organisations were putting us forward to be in this space and I was embarrassed to go into that room because I had to ask what the protected... Char- Do you remember that day, Holly? <laughs> I said, what are the protected characteristics? And the room just looked and went, who is this woman and why is she here? So I, I've but had to learn. you asked the questions. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yes. And Nothing I had, worse than pretending that yeah. you know. And I said, I'm sorry if this sounds stupid, but I need to ask, what is that? To me, it didn't, though, because it was refreshing that it wasn't a HR person at that event from all the companies. It was actually somebody operational and somebody with the lived experience, which was a little bit how I felt. You know, I'd been on site, I'd been a project manager, and now I was wanting to change the world. And I didn't want to be held back by or perceived to be held back by um, people in, you know, support function roles. So to hear somebody asking those questions because they wanted to change the face of the industry like I did. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're questioning. <laughs> whether you're asking stupid questions or not. Yeah. Thank you, Holly. You just have to ask the questions, yeah, absolutely. And would you think that 30% is a realistic target? Have you got a target in mind? 30%, yeah. I mean, 
you know, a few companies have been saying um, 30% by 2030 for a while and things like that. But, you, you know, you've got to remember that women in tech want <laughs> better representation, women in just business in general, you know, general women in STEM. And we think about STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, maths, there are so many sectors that that covers. So we can't have everybody in construction, unfortunately. We can't have all the females. Um, 30%, yeah, maybe realistic, but these things take time. It won't happen overnight and it starts talking in schools not just you know at um at a point where you've already maybe got a path of your career you know we've got to go into school because we know that people children um, are influenced at as young as the age of seven so if we're not influencing them at that age about what other jobs you can do and these are jobs for boys and these are jobs for girls then you know it's just going to take another however many years Emma since you were at the university. <laughs> well as a journalist myself I'm really interested in stories so if I was trying to imagine way back when I was at school and I had two females coming in to talk to me about working in the STEM industries you know I'd want to know about what's the best thing about the job what's that standout moment for you that you just think wow I'm doing the right thing. So for me when I've been and talked in schools before and I've stood on the stage. This is a, an example where you go into the school and the kids have to guess what your job is. So you're stood a little bit like uh, with a number in front of each of you. Question to number one, question to number three. And you may be just wearing your office attire. So you look smart and they're asking you questions. And then they go back into their classroom and they have a conversation with their teacher about what job they think you do. And then you come back out and they tell you what job they think your job is and I got car saleswoman singer and or hairdresser oh, and then out <laughs> I came back onto stage in my full PPE hard hat boots and the <gasps> in wow. the in the in the assembly mm -hmm. uh, was just you know amazing and they were she's dressed up you know that sort of thing I said I'm a project manager and I work on railway projects so absolutely that moment made people think differently again and, and we jump to conclusions all the time we pigeonhole people and we decide we know everything about that person but you just having that very visual uniform I suppose when mm -hmm. when you when you put that hard hat on you become a different person and I suppose we just need to see more women like you uh, doing that. Emma, has anything jumped out for you? I can think of a whole lot and I've mentioned some of them already. Um, I have had, um, back in 2018, it was 200th anniversary of the Institution of Civil Engineers and there was something called the Global Engineering Conference and it was held in Great George Street in London. Um, and I walked into that room, so it was indeed global. And that's when I felt part of a global movement. There were civil engineers of all shapes, sizes, colours, you name it. Uh, and they were all in that room. And we were there talking about the UEN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, so I don't know how much you know about the UEN Sustainable Development Goals, but I think um, in 2015, um, countries from all around the world under the UEN auspices actually agreed a blueprint for creating a better world. And there are 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Um, and just as I've said, you know, things that resonate with me, this is something that resonates with fundamentally who I am because... Um, it's based on the premise that no one gets left behind. So, I mean, there you are fundamentally trying to make the better the world a better place for people, 
but also it's looking at you know uh, what we're doing in terms of the environmental impact that we have so that we don't take too much we take just enough and we put back and give back so that's something that I, I find incredibly um, life affirming so to be able to pull that and help pull that into the grain business because our corporate social responsibility or our responsible business strategy is related to eight of those goals you just think wow so if I talk about one of the things that I think has been super yeah that's probably one of the things for me in recent times that has been fantastic achievement yeah well, Emer and Holly, you have definitely enlightened me. I can feel the passion for your industry and the work that you do uh, coming across through the microphones. And I'm sure that everybody listening today to the Deconstruction podcast would say the same. What a great episode in recognition of International Women's Day and as part of Women in Construction Week. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and we'll see you next time. <laughs>